0: it's worth looking at the context so Peter is writing this letter to the churches that are scattered across Syria and Turkey and in the first chapter uh, you've already looked at this I guess he works hard to remind them of their identity he says that as believers in Jesus we are strangers in this world so here's my uh, my, my low-tech visual aid today hopefully you can see that we're strangers in this world uh, we belong to another world a spiritual world if you like. Uh, We have a different Lord to everybody else, we're part of a different kingdom. So our faith then is not in governments or in the military or in celebrities, it is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we have uh, a different inheritance, we have a heavenly inheritance. In this world when somebody dies you might inherit uh, money or a house or whatever but as members of God's kingdom we inherit hope and joy, and salvation, and none of those may be stolen from us. And the reason Paul writes this way is because the people he's writing to are in danger of losing everything. He's probably writing in the time of the Emperor Nero, and Nero persecuted the church. So poor Peter, not Paul, Peter—not Paul—Peter is writing for, for for people for whom everything is uncertain, a bit like us today. Um, We don't know where all this coronavirus stuff is heading. Things are uncertain. And in this uncertainty, Peter's readers and we ourselves, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. So this is is good stuff and it's comforting stuff for us today because we're not immune. Uh, We're not immune from a virus, we're not immune from redundancy, from a loss of income or anything else. And though battered by this world, we uh, ultimately belong to another world which cannot be stolen from us. So we're strangers in this world, and that's all good and hopefully a comfort to us. But the question is well, well, how do we live in this world? Our ultimate Lord might be Jesus, uh, but we live in a world of human government and in a world of unequal social relationships, as mentioned in the slavery in our passage. We live in a world of unequal gender relationships, which uh, is is addressed in the passage just following this one. Maybe you'll come on to that next week. So with strangers here, as guests in this world, how do we behave? And I wonder whether today, if we don't speak in generalities, let's make it specific to our situation. If we're going to ask how we should live, we might ask, well, how should we live in the middle? of a global pandemic. How do we live today? And to answer that, I want to take us straight to verse 17. Uh, Verse 17 says it very nicely for us, really. Uh, How do we live in lockdown Britain? Well, we're told, uh, show proper respect to everyone, Uh, love the family of believers, fear God, and honour the emperor. And really, it's uh, pretty much all in that verse. So let's just break it down. So first of all, uh, show proper respect to everyone. As never before, I think we have become aware of the impact our lives have on others. Right now, every object we touch, every sneeze we make, every casual encounter with another person on the street suddenly takes on significance. We realise in stark terms what is in fact true all the time that the way we live our lives affects other people we're not just individuals uh, we cannot live in a way that doesn't have ramifications for others it's true all the time uh, because the clothes we buy and the holidays we take and the journeys we make and everything else all these things leave behind a footprint it's just most of the time we don't notice that footprint we don't ask where our clothes come from or what it's like to be a resident of the places where we go on a holiday or uh, What will happen with uh, the pollution that our travel causes, or so on and so forth? Uh, But yet, all of a sudden, now our footprint is visible. Bluntly, if we choose to live as we were living, we risk the lives of others. So, show proper respect to everyone, consider the way in which we live. I've already commended Boris Johnson for his um, listening and his leadership at the moment, but in the interests of Uh, Political balance, let me me quote uh, Jeremy Corbyn for a moment. He was interviewed a couple of days ago, and he was talking about the massive investment that the country is making in order to um, keep ourselves afloat at this time. And he said this, there's a sudden realisation that we are only as healthy as the safety of our neighbour. I quite like that. We are only as healthy as the safety of our neighbour. In other words, we are connected old and young black and white immigrant and resident rich or poor we are connected with responsibility for our fellow human beings who are all made in the image of god just as we are so as peter says show proper respect to everyone secondly uh, love the family of believers we talk as churches of being family together and i guess families look after each other And are committed to one another and they care for each other. And I think one of the ironies of our present situation is that though we are unable to gather together, it may be that we are showing more care for one another right now than when we can gather. And I understand that OBC has established a phone buddy system so that anyone who's isolated has somebody allocated to them to ring them up from time to time and check they're okay and go and run a few errands or whatever it may be. I just wonder. Is it possible, at the moment, that the single person, or the elderly person, the recently bereaved, or whatever, might they actually be more connected to the church at the moment than they were previously? I wonder whether there's an opportunity here to strengthen our family ties rather than loosen them. I think I'm finding that to be true. So just a few nights ago, um, we had a Zoom conversation in my family. So myself and Ali and Alex and Karis and Joan and eliza we all met online. I'm thinking why why haven't we done this before and shall we keep doing this? Likewise in my office um, I'm in a team of seven people in our corner of the office and um, now that we are unable to meet, we are uh, all working from home, uh, I would say that we've had more online chat and banter and care for each other than perhaps we ever did when we were sitting just a few feet apart. So i also find myself prompted to ring people up, people I haven't spoken to for ages, just to chat to them. So, in other words, love of the family of believers. And as a church, we can model something of a strong community uh, to the world around us. When everyone has to socially distance themselves, it is fantastic to be part of a church that is committed to one another. Jesus says, By this shall you know that you that shall others know that you are my disciples. That you love one another. Thirdly, thirdly, in verse 17, it says, Well, fear God. Now, most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us are pretty independent and self contained. And we have, I expect, the initiative and the affluence and the food in the cupboard and the the money in the bank and the connections and all the rest of it and just the health to probably withstand the worst of the current crisis. And yet, even though that may be true, we don't know where it's going. And we may have fears that are genuine and well-grounded. Fears for the health of our loved ones. Fears for jobs that are a bit vulnerable. Fears for finances that are threatened. Fears for just perhaps our own well-being. We don't know the extent of the loss that will be caused by coronavirus. And yes, there's much we can do. We can be responsible, we can look out for each other, but ultimately we are pretty powerless in the face of this global assault. So, what else can we do but throw ourselves onto the mercy of God? To fear God is not to cower before Him, but to recognize that He alone is sovereign and that He alone is powerful and to implore him to use that power for our deliverance. I've read Matthew's gospel recently, and I was struck by two stories that come almost one straight after the other. The first is a story of the man with leprosy who comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it says that Jesus uh, reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. Well, none of us can touch each other at the moment. We are all lepers to one another. Well, may Jesus reach out his hand, but who else will, and declare us clean. And a few verses later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus comes across Peter's mother in law. This is the same Peter that wrote the passage we read from today. Peter's mother in law is in bed with a fever, and Jesus touched her, and she was made well, and she began to wait on him. So we fear God because healing is his to give and ours to ask for so may he heal us as a nation and uh, that we would collectively learn to wait on him but uh, fourthly and finally in verse 17 and we come back to where we started uh, honor the emperor i want to say by the way that i don't think we should always submit to government I don't think we should always submit to the powers of our day. I think there are times when we're called to stand up for what is right when the government is doing wrong. I think there may well be times when it is both prophetic and righteous to protest, to block roads, to chain ourselves to railings or whatever else it may be. There is a time for action. Um, If you think about it, the, the Old Testament prophets did it. They didn't always obey the king when the king was a fool. Jesus in the temple did it, overturning tables and scattering money, and uh, almost inciting a riot. Peter, who himself writes this passage, Peter did it with John, when he was told by the rulers, the religious rulers of his day, not to preach the gospel of Christ. He said, no, we, "We must obey God. We must disobey you in this case." So we shouldn't always submit. But the next few verses go on to. Uh, uh, talk about how slaves should obey their masters and of course that might be fine in this context there came a time though when slaves would have to resist or when christians had to say to masters well you have no right to demand submission context then is everything and verse 16 helps us it says live as free people but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil so yes we are free free to serve a different lord in the final analysis we are answerable not to the government of the day but to God but in your freedom you know don't be petulant don't be a jerk about it because when as now uh, restrictions are imposed upon us for the good of others as churches we should be leaders in social responsibility now is not the time for rule breaking but for submission now is a time to stand with our friends and not aloof from them so uh, you get the idea um, verse uh, 17 um, might be a, a little mantra that you, uh, you write out and stick on your fridge for these days we find ourselves in. In this global pandemic, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God and honour the government. For it is God's will, says verse 15, it is God's will that in doing good we silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. However, respecting our neighbours and loving each other, fearing God and honouring our leaders is not all the passage says. It goes on to talk about slaves obeying their masters and I don't want to dwell on this part of the passage uh, today, I just want to say again that that's not some justification for slavery, it's more a sensible instruction at the time for church that is a tiny minority. Now is not the time for rebellion, says Peter, now is the time for building a reputation for responsible, loving behaviour. The church at that point in time uh, was able to model equality in its own gatherings, but it wasn't in a position where it could call for equality in society. Tragically, perhaps, when the church was in a position to call for equality, it took a very long time to do so, but that's the subject for another sermon. And uh, maybe you should invite someone like Robert Beckford to, uh, to speak to you on that topic. But our passage ends by returning to Jesus. Remember, we are strangers in this world. We submit to our government out of respect for others, but in the final analysis, our allegiance is not to government, but to Jesus. And yet, and yet, this Supreme Lord, this creator of the world, this divine man, who could, if he wished, make every knee bow before him, he, in fact, also submitted to the rulers of his day he didn't submit just by staying home for three weeks or not visiting his mother on mother's day he submitted to insult and to beating and to crucifixion why because like our submission to social distancing it saves lives when jesus died he carried our sins in his body to the cross by his injuries it says here we have been healed individually because of Jesus' death the hurt in your life caused by your sin or by the sin others have committed against you may be healed and collectively globally even because of Jesus' death the devastation and the sickness of our planet and its people caused by the sin of our globalized society may be healed may we see that healing soon that individuals would come to know forgiveness and that nations would be free from sickness. So let's just pray together. I think we're going to pray at more length in a moment, and I'm just going to lead us in prayer now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to pray for healing. Our literal sickness acts as a metaphor for our spiritual condition, humanity is unwell jesus turn us towards yourself that we may know healing of our bodies our spirits our relationships our society our way of life we throw ourselves upon your mercy in your name we pray amen Okay, well, thank you.